Hey y'all, welcome to Happy Healthy Human Radio. I'm your host, Samantha Attar, joining you from the beautiful Washington, D.C. I'm an Ayurvedic coach, yoga instructor, and doula, sharing with you the things I am learning about and teaching about in my everyday so that we can all find just a little more balance, bliss, and confidence. I so appreciate you being here and being a part of this community. If you enjoy this podcast, and particularly if you enjoy this podcast because it's so beneficial for so many people, please do share it with a friend who might enjoy Or you can always rate and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts, and I truly, truly appreciate it. We have some wonderful events coming up these next few months. On March 29th, I'm teaching a workshop over at Spark Yoga. It's called the Happy Back Workshop, and this workshop is designed for anyone that might be experiencing some back pain and wants to know some more functional exercises and yoga shapes that can help it. But even if you're not experiencing back pain and you just want to find some better alignment in your yoga and to really work on strength in the back, which ultimately helps strength in the core and, and how those two work together. It's a really fabulous thing. Um, it's, it's meant for both of you. So we're going to do a lot of hands-on uh, exercises and then also apply some of this knowledge to our yoga practice. It's going to be a great workshop. If you're interested, head over to sparkyoga.com for all the details. I'm also leading a Ayurveda and yoga retreat in May, May 14th through 17th. It is wonderful and delightful. We spend three days living the Ayurvedic lifestyle, which means we eat delicious, healthy, home-cooked vegan food. We have a bunch of yoga practices, meditation, workshops, and hiking. It is wonderful. It's going to be over in Lake Anna in Virginia, about two hours outside of D.C. If you are interested, the early bird discount is ending soon, so head over to spirocollective.com, click on retreats to find all the details Again, that's spirocollective.com, S-P-I-R-O, collective.com. I also have a weekly newsletter, so if you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the Spiro Collective world, head over again to spirocollective.com and sign up for the newsletter. Today, I am so excited for today's podcast and today's interview. I'm speaking with Rachel Aronson, who is a pelvic floor physical therapist and owner of Core Elements Physical Therapy over in Arlington, Virginia. Rachel is amazing and smart and so knowledgeable and caring about uh, pelvic floor and women's health issues. And I really wanted to speak with her because I learned about pelvic floor physical therapy during my doula training. It was something I had never heard about before, but learned about how important it was for um, people after they've given birth uh, as both a preventative technique as well as a curative technique if they're having issues with incontinence, pelvic pain, uh, and, and, and even back pain and tailbone pain and, and other um, issues after having a baby. Uh, I also then went to go see Rachel when I was six weeks postpartum to help make sure I was going back into exercise in the best way and, and just making sure things were good in my body and um, that I wasn't having too much issues with diastasis, which is separation of the abs, that my pelvic floor was um, kind of rebuilding and, and getting strong. And I, I so enjoyed my uh, my appointment with her and also realized how few people actually go to a pelvic floor physical therapist particularly in that early postpartum period. So not when they're having tons of issues, but really like as they're starting to rebuild. So I really wanted to talk with her about some of these issues and share some knowledge about why pelvic floor physical therapy is so important and so beneficial. So I this, this conversation 
was even better than I could have imagined. And I learned so much even in talking more with Rachel here. And I think there's some really great information for anyone that's interested in understanding their body better and thinks that maybe pelvic floor physical therapy could be useful for them. So I am so excited. I think you're going to love it. Speaking to Rachel's specific bio, so Rachel is a pelvic floor physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy, and owner of Core Elements Physical Therapy, a clinic that specializes in women's health located in Arlington, Virginia. She's a resident of Arlington, a mother of two, and a fitness enthusiast. Rachel got her doctorate in physical therapy from Duke University in 2005, and since then she's been working in the orthopedic environment. During the period, she shifted her focus towards women's health physical therapy. It was after her own experiences with pregnancy and birth when she was felt left feeling depleted and her curiosity led her towards this amazing subspecialty. It was inspired by her desire to deliver focused, holistic, validating, and expert care, and she opened her own clinic in 2015. She does, and I can confirm, she has a compassionate, kind, and passionate personality. She's committed to helping women restore themselves, whether it's during the childbearing years or at another time in their lives. Again, Rachel owns Core Elements Physical Therapy. CoreElementsPhysicalTherapy.com is her website. If you want more information on her work, please enjoy this amazing, informative, wonderful interview with Rachel Aronson. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really glad because we did. I did a consultation with you um, after having my baby. So I was, I guess, six weeks postpartum when I six or seven weeks postpartum when I came into your office, and I felt like I was like, could could I stay for three hours? Like I have so many things <laughs> that I want to talk to you about, and and so so much. Um, I have so much respect for PTs in general, and then. Definitely for pelvic floor PTs is, you know, being this specialty that I think I might have mentioned to you, I didn't even know existed until I was doing my doula training and, and even still, I, I feel like so many people don't know, even know it exists. So I just have so many questions and things that I would love to talk to you about and, um, and you're so knowledgeable. And so I'm really, I'm really excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm excited to be here and I agree with you that you know, this is definitely a niche uh, within physical therapy that we really need to kind of help educate people about, um, women in particular, obviously, um, and just kind of spread the word. So I'm happy to, to be here today and do a little bit of that. That's fabulous. So I'm curious then for you, did you get into physical therapy knowing you were interested in pelvic floor work or did you find pelvic floor work after? Like, how, how did you find pelvic floor PT work? Sure. So my story, to be honest, is sort of like a lot of other, other pelvic floor PT stories. So I finished school. Um, I graduated from Duke in 2005 um, with my doctorate in physical mm -hmm. therapy. Um, and after I graduated, I initially went into orthopedics and, you know, which I, which I love. Um, and I was working in orthopedics for a good, probably five years before, um, I actually had my kids. I have two kids, uh, 10 and 12 years old. And really my journey into pelvic floor PT was honestly sort of <laughs> 
really it was almost sort of just an organic experience as the result of having my own children mm-hmm. and going through the process as a woman of pregnancy and birth. Mm-hmm. Um, my my second pregnancy in particular with 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 my daughter, Lily, who is going to be 10 next month, um, I mean, I was lucky. I had, I had very, like, easy, comfortable pregnancies. Both my kids uh, were born vaginally. Very uncomplicated, easy births for all intents and purposes. Um, but after, after I actually had my daughter, the first year, and this was 2010, um, I actually really, really struggled with pelvic pain. Oh. Mm. And, you know, this is sort of, this is, this is an area that I treat, but it, in the moment for me, when this was sort of unfolding, um, you know, long story short, but I ended up sort of for about a year really trying to navigate, um, you know, my own journey with the pelvic pain. And for me, it was not only the pelvic pain, but it was actually also reoccurring UTIs. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. Um, and through that experience, you know, really, I mean, I ended up ultimately, I ended up ultimately, you know, being treated by a colleague, by a pelvic floor PT, actually. And ultimately my healing and kind of my journey through that year meant combining the work of a pelvic floor PT as well as a naturopathic physician Mm -hmm. and sort of really um, forming a wellness team that allowed me to really replete and heal uh, from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so for me personally, I mean, I'm very passionate about the profession because I mean, for me, it literally changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it was just um, as a result of my own experience throughout that year, I just reflected a lot. I'd always liked working with women and women's health issues. But after going through that experience, it was, it was aside from kind of the darkness of it and kind of how how invalidating, to be honest, the whole experience was. Um, there was also good that came out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sort of found this niche, and I realized, you know, like why aren't other, why aren't, um, why aren't very many PTs doing this? Mm-hmm. This is such amazing work. Um, and then, more importantly, I kind of realized. Well, what was so baffling to me, even as a healthcare worker, was why is it that it's so difficult to get in the right hands with these issues? Mm. So it also became a bit of of a jolt, um, and I saw sort of the desperation through my own experience, but also just, I mean, in these issues, I mean, aside from pelvic pain, and I know we'll get into this stuff later, but aside from the pelvic pain and the reoccurring UTIs, which, by the way, are sort of related to each other um, and can, or can be related to each other, um, there's just tons of issues, women's health issues and pelvic health issues that are like this where women are sort of running around to physicians or to different care caregivers 
and ultimately sort of not quite getting the care they need mm-hmm. or being validated mm-hmm. around the issue that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, you know, to bring it to bring it home here, basically, that was sort of my own journey with it, and ultimately. I broke away from treating orthopedics in in a pure sense, I guess, because mm-hmm. public health really is orthopedic. Um, but in 2015, I opened my own clinic, Core Elements Physical Therapy, here in Arlington. And that really was sort of the beginning of me focusing on, on pelvic health and women's health. Wow. Um, I mean, so many, so many things that you touched on there. And so it sounds like you did, am I correct in saying that you, you did kind of have the sense of like maybe telling your doctor you were having issues or trying to talk to people to understand what was going on, but not really getting that support? Was, was that your experience? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I even remember one interaction I had with a urogynecologist um, that sort of just, you know, actually brought me to tears even yeah. because it was just sort of one of these... I could just tell that nobody knew what I was talking about. Fascinating. And it was sort of like everybody has their relative toolbox, you know, their diagnostics that they can kind of run mm-hmm. and understand. And despite kind of going into these various specialists, like a urogyne, urogynecologist, um, an obstetrician, a gynecologist, they sort of have their tools, right? Just like we all do as professionals, but those tools weren't ultimately sort of what I needed Mm -hmm. and bringing forward the driver for me of the symptoms. And ultimately I'd say too, that if, cause if anybody's listening that is dealing with those things, I guess I also say as an opportunity here too, that you can have musculoskeletal symptoms and dysfunctions that can lead to visceral problems. Does that make sense? So, uh, yeah, I would like a little explainer. Is that is that what you're saying? Like the pelvic pain, so the musculoskeletal leading to the UTI issue? Is, is that what that means? Exactly. So you can have sort of, and, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself for yeah. your listeners, but you can have exactly you can have musculoskeletal symptoms i.e sort of a more rigid or high tone group of muscles Mm -hmm. perhaps in the pelvic floor and then as a result of that that can actually sort of convey pain and almost mimic the same feelings you get when you have a uti oh interesting Okay. And actually sort of, so sometimes what happens is women think they have UTIs or sometimes physicians are quick to prescribe antibiotics thinking, well, the symptoms sound like a UTI, right? And they want to help their patient, but maybe the urine analysis is slightly false positive or it's kind of right on the line of being positive. So there's a little bit of professional liberty to take there yes Um, so yeah it's just it's just sort of a way to describe how so sometimes the diagnostics in other words around these issues just require somebody who knows how to say oh okay if there's pelvic pain if there's musculoskeletal pain and there's also sort of like complaints of quote bladder pain 
maybe it's a UTI, but maybe it's not. And mm. what are the things that might be going on? Could this actually be a pelvic floor dysfunction? Could this, how do we identify pelvic floor dysfunctions and how do they present? Wow. And in your case, you know, I'm assuming, and I'm sure you know your body pretty well as a, as a PT, you know, were you trying to figure it out, but kind of didn't like your own toolbox wasn't enough at that point to, to really understand what was happening? Like how, 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 where were you and, and how much were you trying to, um, to figure it out yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. No. And you know what? I know this was, I was in that learning curve present tense. Mm -hmm. So that was a very organic process for me. And part of ultimately what sort of startled me is I thought, and I thought this so many times, I thought, oh my God, if I'm a PT and mm -hmm. this was hard for me to figure mm -hmm. out, mm -hmm. like, what's it like for everybody else? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, because I had some I had some sense of how to ultimately navigate it. And so I think, honestly, spending a year in that is a lot better than most women, to mm -hmm. be honest. Interesting. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of those stories sometimes, I see patients and they've been caught in cycles for years and years, and they're still in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, um, yeah, so I think for me, absolutely, it was sort of just real time. Mm -hmm. um, sorting it out, figuring it out, marching around to different professionals and kind of just yeah. really trying to <laughs> um, intentionally really, really pursue answers. I mean, mm -hmm. that was very, very intentional on my part. I mean, I wasn't sort of, when I go see these doctors that didn't have answers, I kind of didn't go, oh, okay, I guess <laughs> there's nothing I can do about that. Right. Well, and I think that's so hard because... Um... You know, the, the phrase that I often hear, especially as it relates to like postpartum issues like this is common, but not normal. And I think we often, yes. you know, confuse common and normal um, to say, of course, of course, I pee a little bit when I laugh. And it's like common, <laughs> not normal. Um, so, yeah. Um, so this question, this is not... Uh, like a could you have done better or like it's not about thinking about the past in that way but I'm thinking about it in terms of for people that maybe just had babies or um, or are in that first year postpartum or just trying to understand it that way do you think that like do you think that you not could have done something differently but you know if at six weeks 10 weeks 12 weeks do you think there could have been um, treatments or things that you could have done yourself that would have prevented it from being this year-long pain issue or or was it just something that took that long to develop and and then it was at kind of that year point that you were able to really figure out what the fix should be does that question make sense yeah that's that totally makes sense and it's a great question and it's a fair question because um I and and yes I do think that if I could go back and tell my past self, uh, hey, Rachel, go for, go see a pelvic floor PT yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at your six-week mark or yeah. at your 10-week mark, whatever. I mean, but just in those early few months even, yeah. get assessed, 
check in with your body, mm-hmm. see what's going on, get some feedback about it. Um, I do think that, to be honest with you, I think it would have allowed my body to heal or set off a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, who knows, right? right? But I do think that, yeah, absolutely, it would have made a difference. And um, I think that I think that the, the wonderful thing about this profession is that women can come in. Mm-hmm. And go have a go have a musculoskeletal check, and then you don't have to obviously get into trouble. I mean, sort of get symptomatic, and sort of it can be preventative. But you just you don't have to live. You don't have to live sort of under the myths of that. Yeah, I have. Um, like you were saying, yeah. I, I, pee my pants when I laugh and I had a baby so you know and but I so appreciate this because I think you know two pieces that come to brain you know you mentioned being dismissed you know and I think this is a very common experience for women particularly to be dismissed or I know you know personally whenever I go to a doctor or, or even I mean even to you you know, I always feel like, oh, my problems should be worse. They're not bad enough, <laughs> right? And um, and it even, you know, it even, uh, so, you know, sometimes I'm like, am I nuts for having showed up at six weeks? Even though I was so convinced, like, yes, you need to go at six weeks, eight weeks, whenever, like, just start off right. But there is this sense of like, oh, should I, should I wait and see? Should I see if I actually have a problem and then fix it? But... Um, I mean, I think in, in my experience and going to you, I'm, I'm so grateful that I did because it, uh, it gave me a confidence in my body and a confidence in moving forward. Um, but I think, it's, I think it can be really hard to, um, for a lot of people to do that because I think that's just not how our society thinks about particularly the postpartum period. Um, yes. it's, it's like, well, if I have a problem, then I'll figure it out. Um, Versus kind of this more preventive approach, which, yeah, give me your thoughts. Well, yeah, and I agree with you because I was going to say it almost sounds like you're talking about sort of preventative care mm-hmm. versus sort of care when you actually become symptomatic mm-hmm. and the kind of knowing, hey, I mean, I might be a little bit over vigilant here mm-hmm. with <laughs> uh, pursuing this, but but I mean, the cool thing is is that uh, that. We actually have evidence at this point, too, that sort of says that if, if you do PT prenatally, you can actually be more comfortable. You can reduce your low back pain or your pelvic pain. Um, wow. You can help find optimal birth positions. Wow. You can prevent, and you can even prevent postnatal issues. So oh. what that, right? So what that kind of means is that even if you're not symptomatic, you can avoid becoming symptomatic. Yeah. Um, and we actually have evidence to back that up now, which is which is great. And <clears throat> like you were saying with the common not normal, um, which you're right, that is sort of a little bit of a mantra, I think, within the women's health world now, which is great because I think it's – I think – I think it's an effective slogan Mm -hmm. and I think it's sort of helping women um, just make sense of a lot of these common but not normal Mm -hmm. symptoms. Um, I mean, some recent stats are as high as, you know, 
50% of women deal with incontinence wow. postnatally. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, that's so high. I yeah. mean, that's so high. And same with um, low back pain is like 77%. Mm-hmm. So like three out of four women. I mean, and I think that, I think that despite the changes during pregnancy and kind of your shift of center of gravity and your reduction of your core strength because there's all these length tension relationships that, that shift and um, you can end up with more strain on your low back. Um, there's a little bit of laxity mm-hmm. in the pelvis and ligaments. So all of this combined can, can just create or set us up, I guess, be a way to say it too, can kind of set us up to be a little bit high risk for some of these postnatal issues mm-hmm. because parity or pregnancy is a risk factor for incontinence. <laughs> so just just by being pregnant, yeah. all of a sudden you have a risk factor, you know, tick that box, so to say. So some of the um, some of the ways and I think you're right. I mean, I think that this is kind of cliche, but culturally, I mean, we don't do well with preventative mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. you know, in this country mm-hmm. or in general. So, mm-hmm. and women, not to be stereotypical, but because we're such nurturers and caretakers, we often tend to be more susceptible to sort of pushing ourselves off to the side in terms of our own wellness and caretaking. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, and I always respect, I mean, when women come in, like the way you did at six weeks, I mean, that's, that's flipping hard to do. <laughs> yeah. That's really hard to do. Yeah. So I admire, I admire women that are really able to sort of validate the cost, mm-hmm. the time, um, the energy when there's not much of it to mm-hmm. begin with. Um, and really come in and try to make sure that their healing sets off on the right foot. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it is, yeah. it is a great point. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I'm grateful for, one is, you know, the, the doula training that um, that taught me about pelvic floor PTs and kind of drilled it into me that, like, you should do this. Like, this is a thing. Um, and the importance of it. Um, I'm also kind of grateful because I had a high... Uh, motivation to do it because I knew if I just jumped back into my yoga practice um, and a very active person, you know, like what's, what's going to happen here? Um, totally. And so, I, but I do think it does set up a good, um, you know, taking that hour, hour and a half, I think it does set a good um, precedent in motion. Like I mentioned to you before yeah. we were recording of like, I'm going to do my stretches. Like I'm going to do these couple of things because when you have that feedback from someone saying, like I'm sitting there, I remember you know being on the table being like, I am, I am so strong. I am, I am, you know, trying to uh, do my muscles as much as I can. And you're like, yeah, I can feel a little something. I think you might be, and I, you know, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, like maybe you're contracting a muscle, and I'm like, what? What? Really? Really? Um, yeah. And it's uh, and it's and it's huge, and it's. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think that is I think that is really big. One one question I want to really ask you then is um, yeah. because I I believe I I think I told you maybe even during our appointment I was kind of brushed aside by a pelvic floor PT when I was pregnant and I and I went in 
So for people, you know, maybe they don't even, maybe they're not even planning to have babies or, or they are planning to have babies and they want to set themselves up positively for the future. Um, you know, how, how does someone know if they need to see a pelvic floor PT or what, how common is it to have some pelvic floor dysfunction if they aren't postnatal? Like how, what's, how much do you think that people should be like, everyone should go see a pelvic floor PT at least once in their adult lives to figure out how they're doing? Like how, how, where do you fall on that spectrum? Well, that's a great question. I mean, and are you talking about, are you characterizing this hypothetical person as sort of somebody who does not think they're symptomatic? Uh, like, is this just the lay, is this just the, hey, I'm, you know, a woman in my mid-30s, I maybe want to have a baby one day soon, I think I feel pretty good, nothing's wrong as far as I can tell, like, should I go, or is this more like... Yeah, I think I would, I think I would even say that person, because I, uh, let's use, like, I'll use my, myself essentially as an example of, like... I know I'm pretty active. I've been told I probably have a pretty tight pelvic floor. Every once in a while, I'll have some pain, um, you know, with like insertion of a tampon or something like that. So it's, so I wouldn't say like every day I walk away around in pain, but knowing I'm, I'm a pretty active person and, and again, every once in a while I have that pain, like, should I, should I go see a pelvic floor physical therapist or how would I know if I should? So the short answer is yes. But I'll expand on that. So some of the things that almost sounds like you're kind of describing that would help people understand too is I think what's hard for people is sometimes it's really confusing. Um, and this almost sounds like sort of almost sort of what you're asking, I think. What actually is pelvic floor dysfunction? Great right? point. Yes, yes. Because Great point. Yes. in That's other words, point. hey, I have, I have some pain inserting a tampon I but maybe not all the time but some of the time or sometimes my low back hurts but you know so so in some ways what it sounds like you're almost saying is could I clarify what pelvic floor dysfunction is yes is that a fair that's a that's a way better way of asking my question yes <laughs> <laughs> Here's kind of, here's what I sort of highlight as a way to, to, to try to really answer that because pelvic, um, pelvic floor dysfunction can present as a whole lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So let me just rattle off some of the things that, that might exist right. to help somebody identify if they maybe are actually having pelvic floor dysfunction. So for instance, um, do you actually have any pelvic pain? And that could mean pain in the genitals, the perineum, or like what you're saying, inserting a tampon. That would, yes, that's, that's, that's a little, like, a flag's going up. <laughs> Another example would be, do I accidentally lose urine sometimes? Do I feel like I'm unable to maybe empty my bladder? Mm -hmm. Do I go pee and then I finish peeing and then, like, five minutes later I feel like I have to go pee again? Mm -hmm. Um, so some frequency, um, or what, what we almost call like double voiding. Um, do you feel like you have, um, some pelvic pressure or the sensation of your pelvic organs kind of 
slipping down or falling out vaginally or rectally, um, which could be signs of, of prolapse, um, or even if you have pain with sexual activity, mm-hmm. um, can absolutely be an indicator. And so some of the screening tools that I use when I see patients ask questions like this, and if somebody answered, you know, I'm thinking of a specific form, but if somebody answers yes to three or more of these, Mm -hmm. pelvic floor dysfunction is likely. So it's one thing if like, hey, every once in a while my low back hurts um, because I sit at a desk all day and I never stretch Mm -hmm. and I don't exercise. Well, I mean, you know, mechanically that doesn't seem disproportionate to me. Right. It's not that that's great. And I'd say, okay, fine. But it kind of stacks up, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's case by case basis, but it is some of, some of the pelvic floor dysfunction screening is sort of looking at symptoms, um, and, and kind of looking at across the systems a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that you can't just have one of those. I mean, I see people with, with that just report incontinence or, you know, just report tailbone pain or pain with intercourse. Um, so you can absolutely, it does, it is possible to just have kind of one thing going on, but Oftentimes, I really find that usually there's a few things there, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just really hard because nobody's really helped that person make the connections before. Right. So, like people that have IBS or IC that have basically inflammatory issues going on in their GI system all the time, sometimes these people end up with pain with intercourse mm-hmm. but they don't really connect the two things they don't necessarily think that their gut issue and their food sensitivities are sort of related yeah they're just coming in and telling me like oh yeah I have pain with intercourse but then when you start to really do the deeper dive and they say oh yeah I got diagnosed with IBS 10 years ago and um you know, every once in a while I have a flare-up. Oh, was the pain worse around when you have the flare-up? Oh, I've never thought about it that way. I don't know. So sometimes what you're doing too is you're kind of bridging some of these connections for people and sort of helping them, helping them think more broadly about, about their body. Yes. And just, and just tying things together so that you just better understand the behavior Mm -hmm. of of your body, really. I mean, right? I mean, our body doesn't act in parts, in compartments. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, maybe for some people it does. I don't mean that. But I just mean in the sense that compartmentalizing can be a really good avoidance strategy. Totally. Oh, my gosh. But, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I don't mean that to be quip. I just mean it in the sense that it, it's it's an effective, quote-unquote, way to cope sometimes. Right. But ultimately, obviously, these things all, all tie together. I mean, we're just a web of all this stuff. So well, you have... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, that was... Yeah, that was basically my final point there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I guess I, I just want to say, 
I'm so glad that you've kind of been, you talk, touch on this because even for, for me, there's things there that I didn't, I wouldn't have ever thought, which again, now that you said it makes sense, but low back pain being related to pelvic floor, I wouldn't have, I would never have thought about that or specifically tailbone pain. Again, now that I like think about it and look at the anatomy, I'm like, oh yeah. But if, if you said I have tailbone pain, I would say, oh, there's something going on in your spine. Not that there's something going on your pelvic floor. Um, and then same with right. the IBS would never think of, of that being related, but it totally makes sense. I and mean, your intestines are sitting next to your uterus are sitting next to your bladder sitting, you know, like they're all, they're all right there. Um, yeah. yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of the muscle and nerve relationships are actually really similar too. just meaning that some of the vertebrae and some of the innervation from our spine that feeds the spine also feeds the bladder. Mm, so interesting. in other words, you can have, you can have a, a, a quote issue in your back mm-hmm. at certain levels, but that, can, but those that can implicate your bladder. Wow. So, and that's, like, that's again, one of those people aren't supposed to know this. I, I don't mean <laughs> it like that, but yeah. this is just, this is just why, um, this is this is some of the work that pelvic floor PTs do. Yeah. This is this, these are some of the interventions and assessments that that we go through in our minds when we're looking at somebody. And so, if somebody's coming in with bladder um, urgency and frequency, and let's say urgent continence. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not just going to be looking at their pelvic floor. Right. I'm going to be looking at their trunk and their spine and their abdominal wall and their breath and their movement and their posture and also in their lifestyle and their preferred exercise and their diet. Mm-hmm. That's and nice. kind of trying to figure out in a slow march what where we need to start and how we're going to how we're going to affect the symptoms that somebody's worried about. That's amazing and and also important. I'm like, oh, so cool. Yeah. Um, so a question that I that I have for you is, amongst all of these questions that I have for you, um, the question <laughs> is is about choosing a pelvic floor PT and just what your understanding of is from like just looking at the profession and and the the people. Um, that are practicing around Arlington, D.C., um, I guess two two related questions. One is, you know, I see that a lot of pelvic floor PTs do not accept insurance. If I have it correct, you do some reimbursements and that work, but but there are a lot that don't take any insurance, um, and that's a frequent uh, deterrent that I hear from people. Um, and then on the other hand, like, for, again, my example of when I – was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to pay for a pelvic floor PT. And I went to the free one, meaning basically free for me because it was through my insurance. I, you know, I was, I was kind of waved away and wasn't really helped. So I'm curious if, if there is a divide, is there a reason why a lot of pelvic floor PTs don't offer insurance? Is there just, how, how should someone go about choosing one? If they're, if they're thinking that they're having some of these issues, um, any, any insights you have there would be appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, there really is 
uh, it's pretty hard to find a pelvic floor PT that takes insurance Mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right. And I sometimes, um, you know, I mean, here locally, um, just speaking around contextually kind of what I know, I mean, really honestly, the only place, well, I can think of a couple places, but like Virginia hospital center, um, you know, is one, but there's, you'd just be hard pressed to find one. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the reason for that is this. So, and I'll give you a firsthand example. So when I was actually worth working in orthopedics, um, and when I started to treat women's health, um, part of what treating women's health requires is time. Mm -hmm. And, patience and uh compassion (laughs) and in order to actually give those things to somebody it does mean that you have to be able to carve out the right amount of time Mm -hmm. in in a setting in Mm -hmm. a clinical setting so when I was working in orthopedics and I started treating women's health there I actually was working in an literally an orthopedic clinic and we we had to see patients every 30 minutes oh wow Mm -hmm. and that's because when you work for a clinic that bills insurance and you know as a person you're going in and you're using your insurance part of how insurance reimburses is that it's based on time Mm -hmm. or what we call kind of units billed Mm -hmm. so if you're literally not seeing two patients within an hour Mm -hmm. and billing what would be like the equivalent of six or seven units, you're basically losing money for the clinic. Wow. So what that, what that creates then for the patient is an environment that's less personal, Mm -hmm. rushed, uh, and designed to not really deliver care to you that's based on you Mm. it's going to be based more on what the insurance is going to pay the most for to the clinic Mm -hmm. um and what that therapist is able to kind of squeeze in in that 30 minutes and and I mean I tell you this honestly I mean like this morning I had an eval with a patient that was a 90 minute like the one you had and I had a little bit of a cushion before my next patient and the patient that I had this morning was pretty involved and I ended up being able to go over her with her and almost spent, and I don't, I'm not saying I normally do this, but I was able to spend almost two hours with her and I had the luxury of being able to, to do that. And she, as a patient, had the luxury of being able to be in a space yeah. where her issues and, and her concerns could really be heard, validated, and we could really start to dive in in a way that, I mean, you just can't get that. Yeah. You just can't get that if you step into the insurance world. So it does change the the type of care you're getting. And I'm not saying that insurance-based systems deliver bad care. I'm mm-hmm. not even saying that. But I do think that I do think that the relative um, the, the relative way to think about it is that there is a value that 
that you do get when you're holding somebody's attention one-on-one and that they're, they're able to really just give you care that's based on you as the patient and what you need. They're not subject to a third party and saying, well, if I, if I do manual therapy on this patient, I don't get paid very much, so I'm just going to do exercise with them instead because wow. the money gets paid better. Yeah. And that's some of the, that's just some of the sacrifice that becomes a reality, unfortunately. Um, So I think when people are, are really looking at what's out there and trying to sort through this, we're not charging cash rates and sort of these, what can feel like a very expensive thing. We're not doing that because we like to charge a lot of money or just doing it because we understand the value of what you're getting and we want to deliver care that's patient specific Mm -hmm. and not dictated by the insurance. Mm -hmm. So I think my, my word of advice there would just be to women to value, value sort of the, what we were almost saying at the front end, the preventative, the wellness aspect of, of your, of your body and your, in your care, because honestly, down the road, we know that this prevents incontinence, prolapse, pain. So if we know this and you can kind of avoid during your perimenopausal, menopausal years being at higher risk for some of those other issues, and then surgeries and time off work and right I mean you could do the value you could punch the numbers in some abstract way but um I think that I think that it's just an investment in yourself Mm -hmm. um and your future self I really and I I really appreciate the you breaking that down and the candid um like just just really telling us you know how it is and and what you believe because I I think it is really important on the one hand it makes me really sad because I wish that this was something that every postpartum woman received you know even if it was just every postpartum woman got the 60 minutes or the 90 minutes or whatever just that one time like I think I that would make such a huge difference but I, I really appreciate that explanation because I think again that's what I hear the most often is like ugh, but can, I know can I pay for it how should I pay for it and um and, and obviously, you know, you have to figure it out and, and if it works for you. But uh, I do agree. That was truly, like, that was also one of my things of, like, I'm just going to go in six weeks, make sure all's good. Like, versus, like you said, having pain and issues at a year, at six months. Because I, um, yeah. I again, I'm not sure what I've said to you before and what I haven't. But, um, but it was so interesting that within the week of my appointment, I talked to two or three other friends and, um, and people that have had babies in the last like year, year and a half. And I'm saying, Oh yeah, now I'm going. Um, because now I've been having issues for seven months, eight months, nine months. And you're like, Oh, uh, and you know, we talked about, you know, the, the cost of surgery or or that kind of work. What about just the emotional cost of being in pain? Oh Oh, my gosh. You know, and it's, and really recognizing, well, that's, that's huge. And, and we have to value that, um, just as much. Um, yeah. And I think the worst thing, one of the things that makes me, uh, one of the things that I hear that to me is one of the saddest things 
is when I see somebody who is five, ten years out from having a baby and they're coming in for symptoms that have been around chronically. And they say to me, as they're literally crying, I wish somebody would have told me about this. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have known because I would have come. I would have done this. And they're they're now at a point with whatever they're dealing with that they're going to be the, the layers that have to get peeled back to help them start to heal mm-hmm. become so much more complex mm-hmm. and involved. Mm-hmm. So part of what you don't want to do is you, is you don't want to ignore the whispers in your body before they become on <laughs> the screaming. Yes. Yeah. And this is, and this is true for anything. I mean, when oh, you're yeah. shoulder, if you're reaching overhead and it keeps hurting, I mean, don't ignore it. I mean, it's sort of intuitive and obvious, I guess, right? Because we all kind of know that intellectually, but at the same time, it's kind of like same thing with, with the postpartum and the prenatal issues is that yes, be preventative. There's value in it. And yes, go check in with somebody postpartum because you don't want to XYZ. I mean, and, and if you are dealing with something, that whisper or that that incontinence that's kind of not resolving or you're pushing the double stroller mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of heaviness, but you're just going to run through it because you really just, God, you need that run. Like, don't, you know, come get checked and deal with it mm-hmm. um, so that a year or two years out from now, you're just not battling a different battle. So, yeah. I think that would be my my little soapbox kind of suggestion. Which yeah. I so appreciate. That's kind of going to be like that's essentially what my last question was going to be. Which which is exactly what you said of of you know what is what's what's the message to be shared and and that I think is really huge of not ignoring the noise the the, the whispers like you said because you are one hundred percent right that they just grow and grow until their shouts and um and you know I think uh kind of related to that and, and something that was on my brain um you know as I was thinking about uh coming to a public floor PT was you know I was in good shape uh you know very active all these different things going into my first pregnancy okay so now you go through everything that is pregnancy and birth and postpartum what is it like when baby two comes around or baby three, right? So if you, if things aren't getting healed fully and correctly in between, you know, talk about compounding issues. And, and so that was something that was really present in my brain of, you know, can, can you be in a, a great place so that when and if baby two or baby three happens, you can, you can um, go, go through it with the same strength or even better strength. Then you and strength and balance is, I guess, the word I really should use. Balance of the pelvic floor, um, and again, rather than basically having a baby on a super weak pelvic floor or having a baby on a super tight pelvic floor, being able to to move through that. Um, gosh, thank you so much, Rachel. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And I know, and I feel like I can keep saying more and more, but absolutely. And I would just, I would just reflect what you just said too, and. I, I, I agree with you, and I think that, yeah, I think the biggest message is just listen to those whispers, 
prioritize movement mm-hmm. um, and look after yourself so that you can keep moving because um, that's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want women to value their bodies and, and, and value um, their time and find the time um, to figure out how to, how to take care of themselves. And I think pelvic floor PT is just one example of one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself, um, whether it's, it's around childbearing time or, or, or not, mm-hmm. but know what's out there and know that there's a lot we can do, uh, to help. Um, I love it. And that reminds me that you do have a pelvic floor workshop coming up, um, on March 21st. Can you speak a little I bit do. about what you do in that workshop? Yeah, so those I do March 21st, um, which is a Saturday at 10 a.m. It's just an hour long, and um, I, try to, I try to run them um, every so often so people can check my website um, if they can't get into that one. But basically, they're just a really great, great way for somebody to come in. Um, anybody's, everybody's welcome, no matter what age or sort of what moment, just at least six weeks postpartum or more, not before six weeks. Um, and the idea in the workshop is to really just deliver some real basic education around what we call the deep core and those muscles, which really are crucial for our stability, um, and strength. And then ultimately sort of build on that, go through some postural techniques, go through some breath techniques and kind of try to connect to these muscles. And then ultimately sort of explain a little bit more about how you can kind of add movement in um, based on some of the common, but not normal, uh, (laughs) concerns that, that women often have that come to these workshops. Awesome. That's so exciting. So that's all on your website and your core elements, physical therapy. What's, what's the website and best place for people to get in contact with you? Sure. So yeah, my website is coreelementsphysicaltherapy.com mm-hmm. and I'm in Arlington. So on my website, the best way to reach me is either through email, which is core.elements.rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L at gmail.com. And that's also on my website. Or just call me through um, um, the clinic, and I can say the number, or it's also just listed on the on the website as well. Fabulous! Thank you so and much. And I do, I do actually. I should also mention too, oh, yeah. Facebook and Instagram. I do have Facebook and Instagram uh, pages too. So if that's easier for people, they can also message me on there. Fabulous! Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for all you do, and thank you for everything you offered here today because I think this is so much information and I'm, I'm really um, excited to have this as a resource to also to send to people uh, because I do think pelvic floor physical therapy is so important and I'm, I'm just really grateful for you for being here and talking to me about oh, it. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> have a great day. Okay. You too.